0: Well, hello there, and welcome to this, your audio magazine for all things Liverpool Football Club. This is, of course, the Reds Review with myself, Andy Wales, and it's time, it's already time to review April. I I can't believe how quickly it's come come along. I I get maybe that's a sign of age, uh, and uh, things are just so excited. Games... Left, right and centre, things are so exciting for Liverpool Football Club right now and uh, time is just going so quickly, so, so quickly. But here we are, at, at the end of April, so time to reflect on the, the good and, well, I was going to say there isn't really so much bad as um, a bit of meh, but some great stuff to talk about. Uh, obviously not on my own, I've brought with me a great guest, uh, none other than Justin Wells. How are you doing, Justin?
1: I'm doing alright, Andy. I mean, today, and I guess we'll get to talk to this match, was, uh, definitely in the, uh, meh that you described. I, w- I would have called it good and not so good for April. There's nothing, there was nothing bad.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's it. Not, nothing bad. It's some of them, um, frustrating moments and, yeah, underwhelming moments. But I think they are, I think it's fair to say they are heavily influenced by the good. And the fact that we don't, at the moment, have a big enough squad to be able to uh, really rotate properly and put on a, a rock and roll show week in, week out.
1: Uh Yeah, exactly. I mean, right before this, you actually uh, texted me briefly to tell me to think of five words to describe the month. And the actual five words I was going to use were, uh, we could use squad depth.
0: <laughs> You'll have to come up with a different five words. I'll figure. I'll,
1: I'll figure out a different five words for the end. But <laughs> no, so we could use squad depth is is really. I mean, uh, we were exposed a bit as not having enough choices in midfield and not having enough choices in attack. Defense, the one area actually last season where we would have been, you know, paper thin, is the only spot where we have actually like you know a decent amount of you know Premier League caliber talent to choose
0: from. Exactly. So you know Liverpool things are looking positive, we're moving in the right direction, but there is still work to be done, there's still further progress to be made. And I would say that's actually quite a positive thing. So, you know, if we're already in a good place, but there's, you know, further improvements can be made, then for me, the future should be bright and rosy and we should all be enjoying it. But anyway, before we look, before we get started on April's matches, um, Justin, just for yourself, I mean, this has been a regular Feature throughout the season on the show. Uh, just a chance for anyone listening to the pod to uh, to get to know you a bit better and, and understand you more. Is how and when did you first become a Liverpool fan?
1: So it was probably it was uh, between 2004 and 2005. Um, I was working for an English bank at the time, and we had TVs on the uh, floors, kind of like a trading floor type setup. Um, that was obviously the Liverpool uh, run to uh, winning an Istanbul and. That was the uh team that was on most most of the people I was working with who were fans of the sport were Liverpool supporters. And uh watched Steven Gerrard through that entire run. Watch how many times we Liverpool came back from the dead and uh, don't fall in love with that. And uh I'm the type of person when he chooses to commit to something, he doesn't have to commit. So I've uh you know, I I I went in at a good time and I lived through a mediocre time. And I'm just glad to actually, you know get some sort of crescendo back to something that's a bit more positive from the reds
0: yeah that's it once you get bitten by the bug that's it and it's um it's it's quite a special feeling really isn't it
1: it really is i mean i got to go to anfield for the first time this year that just you know if anything it just kind of really cemented uh a love that obviously you know from flying across the ocean to go to a game is probably uh pretty strong but it just made it made that love and that bond stronger and uh Yep. My favorite part of every single week is the, uh, you know, the once or twice that we get to play because it's two hours to just uh, forget about things and hopefully get to, you know, get to witness a, a wide range of emotions. Even when we lose, sometimes, you know, it still is enjoyable because what's the worst thing that's happened to you when you've just watched it your team lose? You, you've watched the loss. We all get crushed by it, but it's uh, it's something that doesn't, uh, you know, it, it's not your your real life. It's an escape and it's good to be able to have interests that are and escapes that aren't part of your real life makes it a lot more tolerable
0: absolutely uh, and also goes to show just what a global global attraction and connection our great football club has and uh, it should be celebrated so let's let's start with with April's results then um kicked it off uh, wow <laughs> i think it's probably the best word i could describe it Beat three uh beat Man City three nil at home in the Champions League. Just wow.
1: Yeah, that was that was such an incredible, incredible match to watch. Um uh, we were all over them from the off. And probably also I would think the the first half was one of our most impressive attacking performances of the season. And the second half was uh probably I think our most impressive defensive performance in the past four or five years. Uh we we, we were we were mm-hmm. absolutely perfect that night and uh you know, we we uh we showed city what european football is really really about and they just couldn't cope
0: it was like stepping back in time it almost a glory years again european nights at anfield it just feels special it just feels different and and, and I, I don't know there's something different you know we we took on chelsea mostly successful against them in the competition we faced arsenal uh back in the the, the 2000s uh, and knock them out. Uh, there is something different. It, it's a totally different proposition facing Liverpool in the Champions League than it is facing them in the Premier League. It's, it, it's, it's almost undescribable, isn't it?
1: It is. And actually, this match felt more, though, like one of those, uh, like, the, you know, and a- apologies to that, to that Chelsea side that was, you know, very good in 2007 and 2008. And, you know, that Arsenal side under Wenger that was still, you know, consistently clinching fourth place every single year. Uh, Basically, playing in the Arsenal only mini league. But uh, what was, you know, this felt more like the 4 uh, 0 against Madrid in the uh, quarterfinals in 2008, where we just, you know, we were all over them from the off. We got the early goal and we just didn't stop coming and shut the game down when we needed to.
0: Yeah, it was tremendous. Um, sandwiched in between that and the second leg was uh, the small matter of a Merseyside derby. Uh, away at Goodison Park, Ooh, again, not you know, not a classic, not by any means a classic, and I've got to say this was this was the most un derby like Derby, Merseyside Derby that I've ever seen in my oh um, God, uh, over thirty years of watching and supporting Liverpool. It was um, almost um, a bizarre game in, in that sense.
1: Yeah, I mean. I'm gonna. I say this with the caveat that I think every single manager has the right to manage every single game in the way in which they see fit, and uh, you know, you're not necessary. A manager isn't obligated in every single match to understand the history of the club, and and put that to practical use every single time. But Sam Allardyce, Sam Allardyce, you fucking coward. I mean, he just set up Everton to not play against a Liverpool side that he knew would be heavily rotated. And he finally, he finally gives a go of it after 80 minutes. I mean, come on, your team is safe. You're, you're, you're not like, like at least try to make a game of it. It's just, it was, it was Allardyce's tactics were so dreadful playing against the side that started Danny Ings and Dominic Solanke. Like at some point you have to go for something. And that's what I credit really this game being that drab with. You know, if we didn't play our starting 11 quality, I mean, Realistically, the only one of the front three that played was Mane, and he had a lot of trouble getting on the ball. You have Solanke missing a sitter, and Ings and Solanke really kind of were just up to absolutely nothing. But, uh, you know, the rest of the game was played with two teams effectively nullifying each other, and then Everton having a go of it in the last 10 minutes, but, you know, creating a bunch of half chances that they'll, they'll feel unlucky not to score, but on the balance of the game, a nil-nil result was, uh, probably fair because i think klopp took it was taking that going in and just hoping there were no more injuries and that's just what allardyce came came to goodison for that day
0: yeah it's it's not too good but they, they they can they can worry about that whilst they um they feel increasingly bitter about how how we're doing and how we're playing second leg of the champions league then away to city a few days later a real scare early on. I've got to say, really put the frighteners up me, and I was thinking, "Oh God, you know, I do, we don't need this." But um, re- we turned it round. Second, you know, the second half of that game really sort of I, I almost saw out City. They they kind of ran out of ideas, ran out of legs, and it was for me a really impressive second half. A two-one victory to seal our place in the semi-finals of the Champions League.
1: Yeah, I see some of it as we were really resolute in that first half defending. I mean the early mistake from Virgil to allow Sterling to you know, pick his pocket and then set up Jesus for that third minute goal. Set up forty five minutes that were basically played like uh you know, this the the feeling of five hundred million reds around the world having simultaneous heart attacks.
0: <laughs> I've been that many times.
1: Yeah. But uh no, i mean all, I, I, I there is not a single person I spoke to or know who watched that game, including you, because, you know, obviously we have our, uh, our Anfield Index group WhatsApp chats, uh, every single one of us basically were just, uh, you know, it was a shower of poop emojis into it, into a chat box, but, uh, you know, it's, that was a heart attack for, and we got lucky with a Sonic goal that was disallowed, because I think he was onside, uh, that's, you know, very, very lucky, but other than that we kind of did rope a dope them because they ran out of steam in the second half because as we've shown time and time again too you can't keep up the, that level of intensity for that long and not just eventually just be out on your feet and uh you know once Salah gets that early goal in the second that, that goal 10 minutes into the second half city uh city were done they knew they were done and the fact that we actually beat them in both matches over the tie just was, you know it was it was the uh, it was the uh, the cherry on top of the sunday it was a uh, you know, it was it was a complete and total dominance in Europe of uh, in in, uh, in Europe against City, and you know we we showed that you know level terms eleven on eleven we can match them, and that's I think a huge positive for us going forward. Uh, you know, and something we need to build on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I'd say I think in the technicalities of the game, it's it there's a, there's an argument there. I can see the arguments and, uh, for and against as that that the signing goal was actually correctly ruled out, but that that's for me is is the uh, the offside law in itself that is, is way too ambiguous. Uh, there's there's far too much of being able to read into it. And um, hey, who cares anyway? Because <laughs> we got through. We mani- we we did it. We got through. And yeah, yeah, fantastic. Absolutely got, fantastic.
1: Can we go in a quick, Sandrich? Uh, I got, I got to ask you something. I know you know usually as the host, you're, you know, you're used to asking the questions. Mm-hmm. But do you think with the whole concept of changing the outside law to the phases of play thing, rather than just keeping it simply, where if you're behind, if you're behind the last defender, but in front of the goal, front of the goalie when the ball is played, you're just offsides. Don't you think that they should just make it back to that simple? Like I didn't see where that was impeding the game or making the game any less watchable i think now it's actually significantly less watchable because they've convoluted the rule
0: mm, I, I, it's it's a, it's a tough one because i can see you know it used to be that they just defend so high up the pitch and it was just step forward you know the arsenal you got look back at arsenal in the late 80s and it was all all arsenal used to do was just run forward arms in the air and just catch everyone offside and it was it wasn't. It wasn't fun to watch. I can understand some of the changes, but sometimes I think they just trying. It just made it a little bit too complicated. I mean, on this one, it was actually um, it classed as interfering. Or was it gaining an advantage because um, the ball actually came forward off a rebound rather than a, an actual an action, you know, a deliberate action, so to speak. So it's it's one of them. But then you could get. Twenty referees in the room, and and ten might read it one way, ten might read it another, and I think this is the thing with offsides. We saw it against Spurs as well. You know, different referees will interpret it different, and this is it's part of football. I, some people see it as frustrating and disappointing, and others see it as part of the magic of football that uh, you have. You know, it's not just black and white, is it? There's so many grey areas, and it always gives you something to talk about, doesn't it?
1: It really does. It's it's the whole concept of uh, every of referees being able to draw so many different conclusions. That's uh, you know one of my big uh, problems with the uh, the league as it stands currently.
0: Yeah. Anyway, we'll we'll uh, come back off our tangents. Next game up, Liverpool three, Bournemouth nil. I must admit, before this, I was a little apprehensive. I wasn't sure what Liverpool would turn up, but oof, this was dominance i mean how did you see this one
1: this was total dominance I mean, we had the ball the entire match uh Mane scores early after i mean he scores in the sixth minute and he could have already had two at that point uh the rest of the first half we have the ball we're trying to get on but uh it also seemed like in this particular game solid because it was also right around this time that harry kane is awarded uh his dubious goal from the dubious goals committee and uh it felt like Sala was trying to prove a point and trying too hard to get into the scorebook and getting out of his game. And I think it stunted some of our attacks. But then in the second half, we were rampant again. And Trent Alexander-Arnold plays that incredible ball that Salah basically has a world class header to, you know, put it in, get his goal, make his point. And then uh, Firmino richly rewarded with a goal at the end for his efforts, which were incredible as far as tracking back in that game. But no, they we we didn't let them uh, we didn't let them really get a foothold in the game at all. We had the ball the entire time. We created all the chances. Uh, our our defensive players were all spectators in this one. And it was around this match that I also feel like the press really started to take notice of just exactly how gifted a footballer Trent Alexander Alexander Arnold is.
0: Mm, yeah, it was very good. I I, I just loved that uh, that header. And like you said, a tremendous ball forward. It, it, from such a talented young player that, uh, yeah, he still has a lot to work on, but, um, certainly plenty to work with. Um, what about the 2-2 draw away to West Brom that was next up?
1: That was really annoying. Uh, combination of the fact that we should have just shut the door at 2-0. And it was, you know, we were naive in that one. West Brom, we had seen a team that had actually just beaten United the week before, and we didn't give them enough respect when we went up 2-0 to, you know, really step on their throat and finish the job, and we let them back in the game, uh, accompanied with, uh, you know, some something I'm gonna throw out there for more consternation, some terrible refereeing. A noticeable ha- a noticeable pattern and complaint of mine is how bad the refereeing is in the Premier League. But, uh, the referee also, you know, we- we, threw that game away as far as get to claiming all three points. And those three points would have been vital to putting pressure on Chelsea to be completely mistake free, even though they have to be. Um, but the referee kept West Brom in that match. And that was what is, that was what's annoying. I feel like, uh, referees let other teams get away with being more physical than us just because I think we're perceived as a finesse team that can't stand up to physicality. But, uh, sometimes I think that other teams just kind of go out to play as thuggishly as they can and, West Brom in in the in the area it was no different.
0: Yeah, there, there was, a, as I recall, a, a penalty incident in that game. It was just ridiculous, uh, amongst other things. Uh, and Danny Ying's been punched in the stomach, which not only not only was the referee actually looking at the penalty or what should have been a penalty and the punch to the stomach, but even more incredulous was. After the game, you know, a few days later, they get the panel, the panel together. They look back on that Hagazi incident, and they say, you know, inconclusive. It was like, seriously, <laughs> is is that way the way we're going in the Premier League that it's okay for like Holgate to shove Firmino into the into the crowds, no action required for that. Uh, it's okay to punch someone in the side. It might have not have been hard, but it's still striking an opponent. It's still violent conduct. It's still a mandatory red card. And we're looking back on it with the benefit of replays, three referees, and between three of them, they can't agree that that should have been a red card. I mean, is, is the, there's a, the bigger thing is, is, like seriously, is not only is the, as you've mentioned, is, there's a concern. And it's not just, you know, with Liverpool, it's within the Premier League. This, this is a, you know, it's affecting lots of teams. Decisions mostly going against us, but sometimes going for us. Some really poor refereeing, but, you know, compounded by the benefit of replays and still not being able to, you know, to, to make a conclusive decision.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm going to make a totally uncontroversial comment towards it, basically. I don't want them to make calls for the benefit of Liverpool just for the sake of them making calls for the benefit of Liverpool. I want referees to make the right call, right? no nobody is a fan of watching the game wants to feel cheated because of the fact that the person responsible for uh, enforcing the rules uh, is interpreting them rather than enforcing them and that that's and that to me is ultimately the issue that that keeps coming up it came up in this situation against West Brom i mean we're going to get to today's game in, in probably in a little bit but it came up again today uh came up against united and I'm pretty sure there are other teams that have uh, these issues. And the other thing, too, is it's just bad for the Premier League to have a standard of refereeing that is so poor, um, and particularly when it comes to, you know, the, what's a foul and what isn't, because if you let teams get really, really overly physical and agricultural, some of these really talented players you have in the league will see, you know, Spain and Germany, and they'll say, well, those leagues aren't as physical, I won't get as beat up over there, and they'll start going back to those leagues, and the current, you know, kind of Rise in strength that the Premier League has right now, over you know, considering there was five teams that went through uh, the um, group stages of the Champions League, that could that could wane as fast as it as it uh, as it ebbed.
0: Yeah, I, I think it certainly should be a concern for for the Premier League, just in how it's how it's perceived. You know, that the quality of officiating is is nowhere near to the standard of the other players that are on the pitch, uh, and that shouldn't be the case. It really, really shouldn't. And like you said as well, it's not just oh we want all the calls to go our way. No, we just want it to be fair. You know, if 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 it should have been a penalty against us, it should have been a foul against us. You know, the goal was offside or was onside against us. You know, the the decisions that don't go our way. If it's a correct decision, you can take it on the chin. You just go okay, well it was the right decision. You know, and it's and it's down to our players and manager rather than looking at the official and saying. Oh, you know why does this keep happening to us because it is a frustration and there's obviously the, the, there's fans of other clubs that feel exactly the same way you know and it's really really disappointing when the outcomes of games are are influenced by by the decisions made on the pitch in in you know marginal ones where someone is perhaps you know an inch offside they're so tight to call that you you can't grumble either way but when when clear and obvious fouls and incidents happen, and, and you know decisions are not given, you just question why? Why does this keep happening? Why is this allowed to keep happening?
1: I I, I wish I I wish I knew that. Um, but I think basically the one thing that we can draw is the uh, certainty about it. How everybody feels about Premier League refereeing is none of them are going to the World Cup, so I think that tells you
0: everything you need to know. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and that's it. You know, and that's it for that match. And, and yeah, West Brom two, Liverpool two. Very, very frustrating, as you said. And as much as the referee was atrocious, yeah, we we can't just sit and blame the referee for that. It was um, our own our own shortcomings, uh, and and that work that we still need to make to uh, to keep improving if we want to win more trophies. But anyway, uh, brighter things were on the horizon because uh, first leg of the Champions League semi-final, home to AS Roma. We did the preview together, and I think we we both expected Liverpool to win this first leg. But I certainly don't think we expected it to be five 0 up with uh, with what about fifteen minutes to go?
1: Who could have? I mean. Who's going to go out there and predict a 5-0 lead in a cha- or even a 5-2. Who's going to go predict that we're going to do that at home in a Champions League semifinal? Nobody. No, nobody sees that coming. That, like, when I said, you know, that, uh, against City was one of the best attacking performances I think I've ever seen in the half. The 60 minutes that we played against Roma, that was the best 60 minutes of attacking football I've seen from a Liverpool side ever. We were basically unstoppable. It could have been seven or eight, uh, yeah, there, there, there's not much more you could say outside of just kind of wow. The You know, the wow factor was there for that particular, uh, for that particular match. And we, we really blew them away. And just the big shame is that, you know, we shut off at the end and gave them a glimmer of hope back in. But, uh, I suspect that we're going to do the job in Rome. Um, I think, you know, every, some, something's got to give with their, with their scoreless record versus our ability to score on everybody. And I'm going to bank on we'll score on them before they'll hold another team scoreless.
0: Yeah, it, it was an incredible attacking performance, and like you said, it just disappointing. Uh, it, it took a little bit of shine off it, which is a shame, really, given the performance that the, the manner in which the goal was conceded. Um, not, not again. And not for the first time, Lovren having one of his moments, and and I think he he kind of lost his head for about five minutes. He was, you know, really sort of you know he was miscuing, trying to clear the ball. He he really looked shaken, you know, when he makes a mistake, and this was one of their moments. And I think again, it's got to be said, you know, we, we've uh, we've not had the the rub of the green at times with with officiating, and this time it wasn't Premier League, it was Champions League. Where did you stand on that penalty award? Because I thought. um harsh was was being generous to the officials for me absolutely you can't call that as as a handball um on on milner i thought he was very very unlucky i
1: i don't enjoy the situations where a handball is called where if it hits a player's body first I, I i to me that's always harsh um i didn't i didn't think it was a penalty I, it's just i don't know how after you're getting hit in the chest you can move your hand that quickly um it's not there was zero intent towards doing it it wasn't hand to ball or ball to hand. It was ball to chest to hand, which I don't know if that counts as a foul.
0: It's not just that, but it, it, there was no sort of distance or time to be able to react anyway because it was a shot from, you know, from around 10 yards away from him. So he just, his arms were in a natural position. It, yeah. As you say, rebound, it, nothing he could do. And it just, and that's the thing that, that totally, for me, that totally changes the tie. At 5 1, you think, poof, you know, yeah, you've got, you've got a consolation goal, but you've got an away goal. But at 5 1, yeah, we're still doing it comfortably. At 5 2, it's, it's just slightly different. It opens it up, especially given what Roma have done in the, uh, in the quarterfinals against Barcelona. And it's just another unnecessary, uh, headache <laughs> for us and, and, um, and we're, we're back into heart attack territory, aren't we?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I, we, we are. But I I suspect that the difference between us and Barcelona is Barcelona probably showed up the Stadio Olimpico thinking that the Barcelona badge on their chests was going to carry them through and that they didn't have to play. And I don't think that Klopp is going to have that sort of arrogance, is going to let the team have that sort of arrogance, because uh, especially after a result like today. We're typically really good at rebounding from... Results where we get less than what we want, and uh, today was one of those. So, I uh, so I think that we'll be I think we'll be on our best form on Wednesday.
0: We're yeah, well, that, that's a good little segue into it. Then, uh, you know, finishing the month off, you mentioned it there. Nil uh, nil versus Stoke. Um, I was fortunate enough not to actually watch it, but I've heard plenty. Uh, I've seen the um, the handball that I would say should have been given. You know, when your arms outstretched wide. Um, it's certainly not classed as a national position and you've got the opportunity to, uh, to kind of move that out of the way. Um, an instantly forgettable match, would you say?
1: Instantly forgettable. Uh, for me going into it, it was a must not lose. Um, we didn't lose. We still have everything under our control. It's less comfortable qualifying for the top four, but I still think we have it. You know, it's still in our hands to do it. Um, yeah. We realistically, it's it's either a draw versus Chelsea next week or a win versus Brighton at home on the last day, and Brighton are already on the beach. So I think we have it in our hands. I think we're obviously going to do it. I would prefer we do it next week than the last day of the season, so that way um, the last day of the season has just uh, got all the intensity of a uh, testimonial match ahead of what what I hope is the Champions League final.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, as as I mentioned to you just before we started recording. I really would have preferred us to, um, you know, obviously eat the win out uh, and just have it so that Chelsea don't still have something to play for. You know, as we go into that game against them next week, I prefer to was put them out of out of touch so that, you know, maybe then they would be on the beach uh, and then we get a, a a bit more of an easier time coming <laughs> as we hopefully prepare for a. For a Champions League final, but yeah, we, we like to give teams hope, don't we?
1: Yeah, I mean, with hope in your heart, <laughs> we're ensuring that other teams in the Premier League are not walking alone.
0: <laughs> oh, dear me. Um, so talking point from the month. Uh, I mean, the obvious one is is the Champions League, and, and we've spoken enough about that. But it just just a word on on Mo Salah. Um you know he's won the the uh, the PFA Player of the of the Year award. Uh, I, I personally, I said, look, I, I I couldn't begrudge whether it was him or Kevin De Bruyne. I couldn't begrudge one or the other. Uh, both being superb this season for for different reasons. And I, I mean, just Salah, just a word on Salah and how incredible he's been in his debut season for Liverpool, and and the fact that he's now been talked about as a potential Ballon d'Or winner I I think speaks volumes
1: yeah I think you know I I think I think he's too I I think he's uh a a loss by less than three goals and then a win away from winning a Ballon d'Or uh unless unless Lionel Messi basically carries Argentina through the World Cup which based on how Argentina currently look uh if Leo does it he'll definitely deserve it but um Yeah, he's he's just unplayable at the moment. Uh, the only uh, the in fact the only way to play him is what uh Eric Peters showed today. Um, just uh drape him. Just you have to basically play to tackle him for 90 minutes, which is uh you know not exactly the most sportsmanlike way of doing it. But it he he's he's the most frightening player in the world right now. He's the most effective player in the world, and it seems every single week he's he's now finding different ways within which to score, which is scary because he's just adding more and more different ways he can hurt you to his arsenal. And he's also unselfish. He creates for others. Uh, he is a team first player. And I think it says a lot where basically he said for the, uh, for the, for the award ceremony that he wanted a representative of the team to go with him. And Henderson is league as team captain went with him. But I think that that shows you the type of player he is where he knows that his success this season and a lot of the accolades he's getting are created by a team that functions to everybody that does their job. It just so happens that his job is scoring goals and he's doing it at a, uh, Pace that we really have, that we've never seen before. I mean, he's, uh, he's already, he's equaled the, uh, the single seat, the 38 game season scoring, scoring record of the Premier League, uh, with 31 goals. And he's done it in his, in his premier season. So I think that in his debut season. So I think it kind of tells you that's possibly the best debut season anybody's ever had. I mean, the only other ones you generally would think about or speak about would be, you know, Torres and Van Nistelrooy, I think are the two other, uh, you know, high goal scoring uh, debut seasons and i think Salah's put both of them way in his rear view.
0: Mm, yeah it, it just just absolutely blistering and and i think over the over the course of the season he's kind of transformed as well from from being what you know what looked like to a very promising and exciting player early season uh, and he was missing some really good chances to a player who now if you put him through on goal you expect him to score and like you say he, he's it's like his confidence and belief have really risen to to astronomical levels. That he just he he really seems to. It's like he, you know, he firmly believes out on that pitch that he is as good as anybody in the world.
1: Oh, and why should he have any reason to doubt that too? Considering the results he's getting, he, he's he's just completely and totally frightening to everybody. Uh, nobody wants to play him. Roman Roma is a team that should have been able to play him best because they know him because he played with them for a year. He uh you know saw to it for uh, that he would create four goals inside the span of uh you know, a half an hour against them. And yeah, just uh he's he's amazing. Uh I could wax I could wax uh poetic about him all day, but it would be the same seven words and it would be basically amazing, awe inspiring, awesome. You know, all the adjectives that basically describe some uh really, really amazing achievements.
0: Yeah, absolutely tremendous, and and, and let's hope uh, it's it's not just a one season wonder that there's more and more of it to come in a Liverpool shirt. Uh, and I guess um, that probably takes us on nicely to uh, our award section. So, goal of the month for April? Uh, did did Mo Salah get you your vote on that one? Oh,
1: absolutely. It's the uh, my goal of the month for April is the uh, first goal against Roma because. Any time that you put a ball off of where the crossbar and the upper stanchion of the post miss, it meet, from the distance he does, in the situation he does, with the amount of space and backlift he does on that shot, it's um it's pretty pretty difficult to beat. The only other one I think that comes into into play also is just the header that Salah scores. But yeah, it's he he you know it's it's that goal uh, that he scores against Roma, the first one. It's just such a perfectly struck ball.
0: Yeah, it it was it certainly was an absolute beauty. But yeah, I'll go for that header actually. I just obviously just to mix it up a little bit, but also the fact that there's just something about that. It was just so so quick and so inventive, and you know, few players have you know have it have it about them to to be able to improvise and do that and carry it off. Yeah. And right now, he is that player. It's frighteningly good.
1: And I, can, can I just give an honourable mention, though, to uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain's goal in the first leg against City? Which is just a thunder bastard of a shot.
0: <laughs> I like it, yeah. I'll concur with that one. So what about Player of the Month? Um, is it Mo Salah
1: again? There can't be any question about that. Just too, just too good this month. I mean, it's a shame because of the fact that Sadio Mane has also had an incredibly good month and an incredibly productive month. But... Salah I think didn't score and there was I think there was one game he played in this month where he didn't score.
0: Yeah. It, that's a, he has just become frightening and yeah you, you'd be hard pressed to give it to anyone else. You you mentioned Mané yeah. Mané has you know he's modified his role and he is playing well at the moment. And I I've got to I've got to say this and I, I I'll tell you you know go back to the beginning of the season, even early in the season. And last season, I never, ever thought I would hear myself myself say these words. But yeah, James Milner deserves an honourable mention in the uh, the player of the month category because I think he's been in excellent form for probably the best part of two months now. Um, almost like a player reborn. And, and I, I would quite happily have sold him uh, at most points. But right now I'm thinking, you know what? He's got, he's still got something to offer and, you know, it, I can almost forget the, his high wages now because what the, what he's given and what he's contributed over the past couple of months have been have really been excellent and probably the, the best football of James Miller's career.
1: It really is. He's shown himself to be really tactically flexible, um, incredibly creative in the Champions League. I think he's actually set the record for most assists in a Champions League campaign. And like, yes, I know that assists are not exactly the, the most perfect indicator of creativity, but they're at least some indicator of creativity. He's offering something on the ball to the side. He runs his, he runs his socks off. Um, doesn't, you know, like, like me and my love of Liverpool, he doesn't have commit to anything. He, you know, you love the, everybody loves, uh, you know, the old English got to get stuck in, uh you know, kind of, a yeah. uh,
0: player. Everybody loves a tryer.
1: But Milner is that kind of player, but he does it actually with, you know, some, uh, some nouse, some technique, and he seems to be an invaluable player towards us, uh, conquering some, uh, some, some demons about, you know, how to play, uh, with a bit of snide that we haven't had in a bit, because he has that about him. Plus, also, one thing he's given us, I think, and I think it might have started, I think he started this this month, but it might have been in late, in late March, was, uh, he has decided that he will uh, take matters into his own hands and render the boring Milner account redundant by just doing it himself and doing it better.
0: <laughs> yes. He actually got, uh, gave him a mention at the end of March, so yeah, it probably was some point in March where he just launched it, and uh, basically James Milner now owns social media. <laughs> Absolute genius. He's reinvented himself totally. And you mentioned tactical discipline. I think, yeah, previous uh, so there's obviously been work with him because previously he he reminded me of a headless chicken when he was on the pitch. At times he would be here, there, everywhere, trying to win every ball in the corner flag, everything. And it's almost like they've worked on it, and uh, you know where where to go, where not to go, when to go, when not to go. You know, little basics and refining his play somewhat. And and yeah, he's been an invaluable member of the squad when we've. At a time where we have, we've, had some unfortunate injuries.
1: Yeah. I, I, he kind of really, he jives in the uh, same mechanism that was described. And I don't know if you read this, but there was an El País article that was, uh, that I had to see translated to English because I don't speak Spanish about Klopp's, uh, selling Coutinho and that allowing him because of just, you know, some certain physical attributes or things that Coutinho lacked that other players in the side had that removing Coutinho from the lineup, bringing Van Dyke in. Allowed Klopp to actually finally really get the tactics he wants, wanted drilled in to be, uh, you know, carried out, you know, five times, five times greater than with Coutinho, which, you know, it's no slight on Coutinho because he's a, he's a great player, but it's maybe just the fact that Milner and Henderson and Ox and Genie without the, the crutch of Coutinho there have finally just understood tactically what is my job in midfield. And Klopp's been able to instill the, uh, and Dave Hendrick says this on Raw, and it's a, uh, you know, because of the fact that it's a uh, a Bill Belichickism, and Dave is a New England Patriots fan. But you know, all the best managers in the world are able to let players know what their job is and what they have to carry it out and to do and execute it. And uh, it seems as if Klopp is finally getting that through this midfield now. And I think Milner is at the forefront of that with just knowing what his job is and just executing it to a T.
0: Yeah, so there we are. Who would have thought it? Some kind words for James Milner, especially from me. Anyway, <laughs> let's let's move things along to uh, to our quiz. It's the uh, this month from when. So I'll I'll, have, I'll give you five questions, um, things that have happened in this month, and all you'll need to do is name the year. So to start it off, uh, former Red striker Robbie Fowler, uh, who was a hero of mine, he was born in April, but of which year? I'm
1: gonna go with nineteen. 19-
0: 64. <laughs> 64? God, no, no. no. no that, that's that's harsh. It no, was it's 1975.
1: 70, yes, I I'm not doing math well in my head. <laughs> I keep on <laughs> forgetting that he finished playing in 2000. I keep up forgetting he finished playing for us in 2005. <laughs> he can't be that. He's not 50. Yeah, he's not 54. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Robbie. I'm sorry for yeah. sorry for blaspheming God.
0: Yeah, just the 11 years out. Mm. So. Uh, second one then, April saw Liverpool knock out PSV Eindhoven in the quarterfinal of the Champions League. But what was the year?
1: We took out Eindhoven in the quarterfinal of the Champions League in
0: 1978.
1: Ooh, uh, quite a way out. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2007. Oh, I
0: forgot about that one. Yeah. My, mem- my
1: memory is not very good. I should I should <laughs> point that out. forgot that. Ba- let Babel had a really good had a really one of a, a really good game in one of those legs.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, um, no Babel was before that. Oh yes, Ryan, Ryan Babel. Babel yeah. Not Marcus Babel, Sorry. Ryan Babel. Yeah. Right. Gary McAllister penalty, that was enough for Liverpool to overcome Barcelona in the UEFA Cup semi-final. Um but do you know what year it was? 2001. Oh, correct. Uh, April also saw some European heartache for Liverpool. Um, exiting the Champions League at the quarter-final stage to uh, Michael Balak inspired Bayer Leverkusen in April of which year?
1: 2006.
0: Um, closer, 2002. Ah. The year after winning the UEFA Cup. And your final question then? April also saw a Premier League all-time classic with Liverpool beating Newcastle 4-3 which uh, of course included that famous commentary of Stan Collymore getting the 90th minute winner but can you name the year that it took place
1: 1997
0: Oh you're one year out 1996 90- right Yes 1996 ah. Ah. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, two goals from Stan Collymore and two from um, I think he would have been about 39 at the time, um, Robbie Fowler. <laughs> <You>
1: no, <know, laughs> I invite I invite anybody who listens to troll the shit out of me for this quiz. <laughs> I deserve it. You can troll the shit out of me. History is not my forte in certain instances.
0: Well, at least at least you got the uh, the UEFA Cup one. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> So let, let's have a look at uh, look ahead to May then. Not too many fixtures. Um, definitely three, hopefully four. So let's start it off on Wednesday night, second uh, of May. Uh, small matter of the away leg, the, the second leg of the Champions League semi final in Roma. Um, ooh, what are you going to go? Win, lose, or draw?
1: I think we will. I, I think we're going to win. I actually, you know. It just feels like in that competition right now we're too irresistible, and I think we're going to win.
0: Oh, that yeah, that's that is very brave. I I I will be superstitious and go the same way as I went with the quarterfinals. I do think we'll we'll lose it, but the um, I do think we'll also score an, a away goal. So uh, I do I I still fairly confident that we'll go through, but. I don't. I. I just superstitious. I just don't like to be overconfident. You know. I. It just has that habit of coming slapping in you in the face, doesn't it?
1: It does. Uh, and I now hope that you haven't made me jinx us.
0: No. Um. We we shouldn't do. Anyway, we we follow that up in the Premier League Sunday, the sixth of May, away to Chelsea. Uh, win, lose, or draw in this one. We're going to draw. Yeah, I agree with you. Actually, I. I do fancy this one to be a draw as well. So then it's um, the following Sunday, the 13th, it's uh, home to Brighton, final day of the Premier League season, uh, win, lose, or draw final day for Liverpool. Comfortable win at home. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, be- was it last season? It was Newcastle last day of the season, was it? Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough, that was it, yeah.
1: And that was nervy until Jeannie scores near the end of the first half, but after that it had, you know, no there was no intensity left in the game because Borough were already relegated. Um, Brighton's are, Brighton are going to be safe. Uh, and they travel terribly. And if we need to at that point, because we'll know our Champions League fate, we'll be able to play a full strength side. So, or as close to a full strength side as we have. So I, I, I just don't see Brighton coming in and, uh, I certainly don't see them coming in and beating us. If we beat, if we draw or beat Chelsea, and I still think we have a chance to beat Chelsea because they're going to have to, they're gonna to have to come bring the game to us because they need to beat us, and once again, that's that's always the best position to be in for us. Uh, I still think, you know, I, I think that we draw or win against Chelsea. I, 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 can't see us losing that match, and if that's the, if that happens, Brighton, I, I won't even care what happens on the last day.
0: Yeah, I, I, do think that the Brighton one will be similar to the the last game of last season. Um, End up being a bit of a non-event and a professional victory, so to speak. And, and it's a good point, actually. You know, a good chance to to play a full-strength side, yeah. and the players themselves will want to to put on a show. I think want to make sure they claim their place because I, I do obviously. You know, we think that the likelihood is we will have a, a, a Champions League final to look forward to.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And plus, also, I mean, they're going to want the run out to get them to keep themselves match sharp because, yep. You know, if we uh, if we clinch top four next week against Chelsea uh we'll have already played the semi-final second leg our next ge- our, our potential next game wouldn't be for 20 days so they're gonna want something to keep some form of match up yeah. is that is it, I, I
0: was gonna say it's. I think there's a couple of weeks couple of weeks gap between the end of the season and the Champions League final
1: right yeah because it's uh Champions League final is on uh May 26th yeah which, which uh will be a special day for everybody but even more special for me um and then uh I'm getting married that day just uh so, if anybody wants hey. to, you know, yeah, this, this is a, a tweet, a, a shameless plug for congratulations. If you want to congratulate me, yeah, yeah, it's, congratulations. It's, it's at rolls on Shabbos. I, I, I accept all praise. Um, but uh, no, it'd be good to have you know a run out just to get keep everybody fresh and you know keep some semblance of match sharpness because a layoff of twenty days versus a layoff of you know two weeks, you know, three versus two weeks is a it's a big difference.
0: It certainly is. It's a very good point as well. So. How about it then, if we do get to the Champions League, we'll say that, okay, some eyes of Liverpool do get to the Champions League final, um, whether it's against Real Madrid or Bayern, um, do you think they will do it or, or or do you think the either Real or Bayern would just have too much for Liverpool on the day or just sort of one of those where it's like, it's just unknown, it's just totally unknown?
1: So I, I know I probably said this to you offline at some point, but Bayern, I, I have no idea how good they are. And it was actually kind of refreshing to hear uh Gabriela agree with me on uh the uh Euro Incision podcast. But uh I just don't think anybody knows how good they are because I don't think they're that tested in the premier in the uh Bundesliga. Um I don't think Real is particularly this I don't think this is the best vintage Real team, but both these teams have a lot of talent. Um I'd rather see Bayern come back and play them because uh I just don't want any part of Ronaldo in a, in a one-off unless I have to. And I'll be confident against either one because I, I think we I think we scare teams right now when we're at full strength and our ability to inflict a lot of damage in a short amount of time uh, weighs heavily on the minds of teams because they've seen us dismantle uh, you know the team that beat Barcelona, who was one of the favorites over in the course of an hour and probably the favorite for the competition over the course of over 180 minutes.
0: Yeah, it's uh, whatever happens. I mean, it, 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 as long as Liverpool get there, it will be an incredible night, uh, one way or the other, anyway. So, I mean, that, that's it for April. Um, as has become customary this season, you, as the guest, you do get the final words. So, uh, Justin, can you sum up the month of April for Liverpool in five words?
1: Things are going really well.
0: I like it. (laughs) And there you have it, folks. Um, That's it for your res review for April. Um, My thanks to Justin Wells. Thanks to each and every one of you who listen and download this podcast. I really do appreciate it. Um, We'll be back next month here on Anfield Index with the the, the final res review of the season and hopefully a grand, spanking, massive trophy to talk about. But until then, from me, Andy Wells. It's Bob